Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. This week, we're wrapping up our Milk Bubble series, and we've been tracking through the book of Philippians. We've looked at Philippians in week one. Guess what? We looked at Philippians chapter one, week two, Philippians chapter two, and we've just tracked along with today's uh, the fourth and final chapter of Philippians, and we're looking at week four, and we've been looking at this concept for the last four weeks that joy and peace and hope increase in our lives as we trust in God. As we trust in God, that's where that increase in joy and hope and peace begin to come from. And even though this isn't from Philippians, this is another place that Paul wrote in a letter to the Romans. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants us. The so that means this is the end result. He wants us to have so much hope that it's contagious. It overflows. It begins to affect the people around us by the hope that's alive within us. And as remember that as we're looking at Philippians, Philippians is written not from a hammock on a beach. Paul is not just having the greatest time ever. Paul is in jail. Paul is in prison. And in chapter 1, he talks about his chains. So as we, if we listen for the soundtrack, for the background music, for the writing of Philippians, it's the clank of prison chains. Every time his arm moves to, to write another word, we hear a little clank of prison chains. Every time he adjusts in his, on his stool at his, whatever his writing desk may look like, we hear the clank of prison chains. He is in prison. It's not a pleasant situation. Yet in the middle of that, it's the theme and what he talks about isn't despair. It isn't sorrow. It isn't, it isn't abandonment. The theme of this book is joy. Every chapter we see the word joy or rejoice show up through it. Here he is locked up and he's talking to these people who are on the outside living their lives in a town called Philippi and he is talking to them about joy out of a place of pain and difficulty in his own life. I think Paul has a different view on life than most of us and we can learn a few things from him. We've called this milk bubbles because there's probably not anything more ordinary than in a, a plain glass of white milk. I mean, it's just plain milk. When I was a kid, I didn't want to drink white milk. I wanted my Nestle Quick. I wanted chocolate milk. Chocolate milk, now that's exciting. That's something to, to, to get pumped about. But just plain old white milk, nobody gets excited about white milk. I know some of you do, but I don't. It's just plain. It's ordinary. But you take a straw drop it into that glass of milk and you begin to blow a little some, some breath into it, some bubbles into it and it begins to change things remember we've looked at the Greek word for spirit is pneuma and pneuma simply means wind, it means breath, it means air and we understand pneumatic tools, they're air driven tools, so you have an air driven nailer to go and build a house, you have an, a pneumatic wrench to get those rusty lug nuts off the old hot rod you got these pneumatic tools to be able to do more 
than you can naturally do on your own. And you and I, as the, as the people of God, should be air-driven, spirit-driven people. Should be spirit-powered people. And so many times we, we, we forget that. And so I love the, the, the visual metaphor of milk bubbles. And, and just, it just helps me, and so that's what this is. It. So we want to see joy enter into the ordinary, to the everyday kind of life by letting the Spirit have His work in our lives. And so as we catch up with Paul's writings in Philippians chapter 4, we see the first thing he tells us is to always find a reason to rejoice. Always find a reason to rejoice. Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown... If we didn't know better, we thought he was writing a very personal letter. This sounds more like a romantic letter. And he's writing to the believers in an entire city. He's writing to a group of people in an entire city. And he has this kind of a heart. I love the way that Paul writes in this, that you whom I love and I long for, I want to be with you. And not just because I'd rather hang out with you than be in jail. Um, it's because I want to be around you. I want to be around you. You're my joy and my crown. You are what, what helps me to feel like I've, I've accomplished something in life. God at work in you and the ministry that done through Paul was just a source of joy and encouragement for him. And I think so many times you and I, are, we are too stingy with our words. I think we can take something here of Paul locked up in prison that he probably recognized. We, we don't share these words of encouragement near enough. We are not free enough with our places of encouragement one another. I, I think if we, if we take away nothing else from today, let's be a little more encouraging with one another. Let's express what one another really means. And then he goes on to say, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He's about to show the way that we stand firm in the Lord. We all want to stand firm in the Lord. Nobody wants to be a, a, a halfway Christ follower. But he's about to show how to stand firm. Now verses 2 and 3 are very personal. personal. He talks to, to these two people who are at odds with one another. And he pretty much tells them to, to make up and to start acting right towards each other. And so and he, and he deals with that. Which is one of the things. We need to deal with the tension in the room. This is one of the ways we stand firm in the Lord. Some of the ways that we begin to, to, to let the enemy come in is we don't deal with the tension in the room. We don't deal with the tension at home. We don't deal with the tension with somebody who used to be our friend. We don't deal with those things. And Paul says in verses 2 and 3, ladies, you need to deal with this. And then he goes on in Philippians chapter, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice always. Sometimes you don't feel like rejoicing, but it says rejoice. Find a way to get joy again always we just had the men's retreat and it was a great time we went out to eastland texas and and um there we were where we were staying was there on lake leon and and there was a, a nice 18 hole golf course there and so yes we fished and golfed and yes it was a spiritual retreat we had four awesome speakers they did a good job but man guys need to bond man we need to to go smack a ball or hook a fish or do something and so we have a lot of downtime and it's good and it's connecting and so um, I went and golfed the last time I had golfed was last year's men's retreat and uh, last year all I used was a five iron and a putter 
And I'd score just as good with that as I would with a full bag of golf clubs because I'm terrible. And so, uh, so we go out, and I actually took my clubs this time. And there was a bunch of us that went out, about 14 of us that went to play golf and broke up into three groups. And, and the group of guys that I got to, to go with, and I'm sure the other two groups were the same way. But I can only testify to the group that I was with that they're the most encouraging round of golf I've ever had in my life. Everybody was just so encouraging to one another. And I think it was because if we looked at what was really happening on that course, it would be sad. And so it would have been terrible. Uh, We were not setting any course records uh, in our group. We had one par out of six guys on all those holes. We had one par. It was ugly. So there was one hole that I two-putted for a ten. And it was not a par five. It was sad. And so, but we're out having a good time. But they were so encouraging and it was so neat. And I, I joked with our guys at the end of the retreat, you know, that you could, you could putt and you could overshoot the hole by 20 feet or more. And guys would have like d- dodging out of the b- way of the ball. And so, but it like just barely missed the edge of the cup. And they're like, man, that's a good read. That's a good read. Man, you had a good line on that. The ball's like way on the other side. But, but you know, man, you, you really had it figured out there. You just need to dial it back a little bit. And, you know, somebody would go and, and hit, and it'd never get off the ground. And it just rolled. But it rolled straight, and it stayed in the fairway. It's like, man, that's, that, that stayed straight. You got that straight, man. That's a playable ball. You know, good, good job. And, and what was neat is it wasn't guys just trying to find something to be positive about. They literally were just encouraging one another. And it was so cool because there was a trophy on the line and, and guys are competitive and it can easily get sideways. But it was so neat to watch as there was just all of this encouraging that took place over and over and over again. As we were just like, you know what? You know, Pastor Steve, you can just dig a hole with the best of them, man. Just, just keep those shovels full of dirt. Just, just going, Pastor Steve. So... And uh, it, was, it was fun. It was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun. But as we look at it, we, you, sometimes you've got, to find, you've got to find a reason to rejoice. That in the middle of life, we still live on a planet where there is life and death. There's blessing and cursing. There's still pain. There's still suffering. There's still stuff that for the reason we need a Savior We forget that we live in a fallen world and we need a Savior. And we feel like that we shouldn't need one. That life ought to be perfect and life ought to be fine. Folks, that's that's, that's heaven. We need a Savior because there's brokenness and pain. And most of the time, you and I are the source of it. Most of the time, most of the pain comes at our own hands. Yes, there's natural disasters and yes, there's other, other brokenness. In a world that was not designed to have to have sin involved in it. But you and I at the same place, there's still places where, that reflect heaven itself. And we have to choose what are we going to look at and what are we going to talk about. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the enemy wants to come in and to get us to focus on anything but the sources of joy in our lives, wants us to get, come in and look at anything. And if we, we just need to understand that there's, there are blessings out there, even though there's pain sometimes in the moment, that it's not over yet, that we've got a God who is present. He's Emmanuel. He is with us in the middle of it. 
He's not a God who is, who is absent when we're suffering. He is a God who is there in the middle and he will walk us through. We need to recognize that. Proverbs 17.22 says that a, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. It dries the bones. And in the middle of a place of prison, Paul has figured out how to stay focused on joy. And I believe he understood this, that knowing that Jesus loves us and has given himself for us helps keep things in the right perspective. In the right perspective. Because you can look at the same thing and have two different viewpoints of it. I shared with you before that, um, that whenever I was uh, in high school, um, and I've very opened the fact that I'm not athletic and improved it on the golf course this weekend. And, um, but uh, when I was in high school, I had, we moved into a different house my senior year, and uh, anyways, for whatever reason, and why teenage boys do what they do, I don't know, and, uh, but we had eight-foot ceilings, and I could pretty much reach up and touch the ceiling, and, but I decided that I wondered if I could touch the, el- my, the ceiling with my elbow, and so, and where that thought comes from, I don't know. You've probably all had it, and so, um, so hmm, I wonder. And so, but I did. And so I decided to try. So I would jump and try to touch the ceiling with my elbow. And initially, I, this, which of course looks really stupid. And so I'm jumping straight up, and I do not have a vertical. And so I did not get there. And so I tried, and I tried multiple times, and I was not getting there. And it felt like I was just like so close. And so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going, I'm just going to load up. And I'm just going to go, and I'm going to jump, and then I'm going to stick my elbow up and just boop, touch the ceiling. So, man, I got down, and I whoosh, and I go up, and again, I'm not coordinated, so nothing went in the order it was supposed to go in. And kind of the last thing that went up was my elbow, and I go through the ceiling and smash a hole into the ceiling. Um, now, let me, let me put this. When I say... You're thinking it was like this full elbow size hole. No, it was like a quarter size. It was like the tip of my elbow, people. I'm telling you, I can't jump very high. But it was a hole in the ceiling. And so, and I was so like, I did it. I, I touched it and I tried so much. So I went and got my mom. And I was like, Mom, come here. Look at this. Look at this hole. And she's like, what on earth? I was like, I did it. I touched the ceiling with my elbow. And she was not excited. She did not think I was amazing. She was not encouraging at all. And I need some therapy. (laughs) And I looked and I saw this accomplishment with a little bit of sheetrock dust as a consequence. And she saw a patch job and a problem and a ceiling that would probably never look the same again. And it didn't. And so... (laughs) Up until the point they sold it, I'm sure I could still go and tell it. You see that? That was my elbow and to, the, to the new inhabitants of that house. And so, but what's funny is years later, I told Keenan about that story, foolishly on my end. And so, and we're at my parent, that same house. And so, of course, what does Keenan do? He's like, well, he's athletic. Bing! First try, knocks a hole in the ceiling. And then I had a perspective of a little more mature individual. I was like, that was stupid, son. I already told you this is the way that works. The elbow goes through. At least I didn't know. 
Yours is like double dumb. <laughs> and so, but your perspective shifts. You, your, your mindset, you'll look at one thing and you'll, you'll see two different things. And we can do that with all of our life. We can do that with everything. And, and, it's, and we have to, to have the right perspective. We have to look at our lives from the perspective of God's love for us and what he has done on our behalf. So as we look at these things and we track through the rest of Philippians chapter 4, we've got a, it's going to be a shift in perspective. And the first one is, is worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Ready for your notes? I'm going to give you your list on everything you're allowed to be anxious about. Everything you're allowed to just to just have it mull in your mind and be that little seed of fear. All right, you ready? Nothing. There it is. Hope you memorized it. There's nothing on it. Not how are you going to pay your rent, not how are you going to pay your mortgage, not how are you going to keep the lights on, not the tension between you and your spouse or you and your children or you and a coworker. not that tension, not, not something that you noticed abnormal, in your body, not that thing, not something that you noticed on the news or a direction that the populace tends to be going in our community or nation at large, nothing. Nothing is allowed to be a source of anxiety for us. It doesn't matter what happens. If anxiety begins to come in, what God wants to do, the Holy Spirit wants to do is to breathe life into that and to expel that anxiety. So many times we can think that maybe this is the right time to be anxious. There's not one. There's not one. Now this doesn't mean that we live, live with our head in the sand. This doesn't mean that there's not serious issues. That doesn't mean that where there's not things we need to walk out and we need to deal with. It means that the, our core thought should not be, this is going to be the end of me. I'm not going to be able to get through this. And that is the lie that every place of anxiety starts with. Is this, is this is insurmountable. Whether it is the rent payment this month or the thing you noticed in your body or the issue with somebody you care about is the lie is that this is insurmountable and there is nothing insurmountable with God. Nothing. Nothing. And that becomes the focus and the steadfastness of our relationship with God. Matthew six twenty seven says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to the life? None of us worry. In fact, worry shortens it. John Hopkins University looked and did a study and looked at people who had chronic worry and people who were more carefree, and they lived years longer. The carefree people lived years longer. Worry is actually sucking your life away. It is doing the opposite of adding something to your life. It is reducing your life. It is it destroying, and then making you the joyous moments you're getting to live. It's sucking the joy out of those. He God does not want that for us. Matthew six thirty four says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And here is the problem, I think, so many times with us with anxiety, is that we're surprised by trouble. We're surprised by it. We're surprised when trouble happens. Jesus told us multiple times, there's trouble in life. 
There's problems in life. There are issues in life. It's not that we're going to have a trouble-free life. It's that we can have an anxiety-free life. It's that in the middle of our trouble, we can be oddly at peace. In the middle of the things not going the way we thought that they were going to go, we can handle it differently than the way the world handles it. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not, they're going to have trouble, so they're going to need to hear about it. But all of us on the inside pretty much expect like everything to be perfect. No, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Our trust isn't in our ability to overcome. It's in His ability to overcome. And the lie to us as a believer is that all of a sudden we've hit something God can't handle. Oh, He's done a lot of overcoming, but not this. He's done a lot of overcoming, but not this one. So how do we deal with it? Because none of us want to worry. None of us want to. Nobody wants to. It just seeps in there. It gets in there. It's just, it just finds its way. So this is how we begin to do it. Paul didn't just say, hey, quit being anxious. Drop the mic. He wasn't that kind of a jerk. Here's how he did it. It says, pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6 goes on. It says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that means it goes beyond understanding. Understanding stops here, and this peace goes here. It's transcending it. That means you're, you're, you're here, and it's beyond understanding. Your understanding has not caught up. It's not caught up. And so many times, we, the peace of God will show up, and you go, I can't explain it. I just know God's got this. And then this lie will want to come in and says, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And it begins to attack our understanding because our peace is going about it. So it begins to attack that. So we need to embrace this, the truth that God's peace in the middle of it will go beyond understanding. And, but that peace that goes beyond understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing, is so many times we'll think that some things are not worth praying for. That God doesn't need to be bothered with that. And they can be the little things that begin to be the first seeds of anxiety. When I was first youth pastor and we had a, uh, our youth uh, over at a, their own facility, we didn't have a band yet, and so we were just getting going. And so what we did is we got a, got a, a CD player that had the, it was a CD changers. Anybody remember CD changers? You load those thing up and hold like six CDs. Man, man, they were slick. We thought we were like technology cutting edge. We were amazing. So you could put all those worship CDs in there, stick them in there, program it, get this song off of this CD and this song off of this CD and be able to do it. So we'd set up our worship for youth and we would have a couple of people up there kind of doing like worship karaoke, there are people on the mics, they're singing along, kind of being the worship leaders, but the, the CDs were the source of it all. Well, we were getting ready, and I happened to have a guy in who was going to speak at our youth group, and he'd been in town, and he was actually from California, and a part of an amazing ministry of the LA Dream Center. If you've not heard of it, look at it. They do some amazing stuff. And he was there dealing with some big cultural problems, really big issues there in, in the really rough, hard parts of LA. 
And he was there, and we were having trouble with our CD player. And it was not obeying. It was not doing right. And so we decided we're going to pray for our CD player. And so we say that, and he's there before the service. And he's, we mentioned, hey, let's pray over this. And this guy pops up. And so he's about my age, and he's like, well, what about praying for all the lost people in San Angelo? What about praying for all this? And it kind of began to put, like, praying about the CD player was silly. Like, if we're going to pray, let's pray about this other. Let's just forget the CD player, and we'll just do it. And that praying about that was silly, and we're going to go on. And for just that little bit, I was like, yeah, you know, okay. And so, you know, and then now I'm just mad at the lost people, because if they were found, I could pray for my CD player. <laughs> Don't you people just get Jesus. We could have our CD, pray about our CD player. Lost people. And so, and so anyway, but I was like, I, I, I quickly was like, no, I said, we, we, we pray for that. Um, we're going to pray for our CD players. So we prayed for the CD player, and guess what? Our CD player worked, and we were able to move forward and have worship the way we normally had worship in youth back in those days and be able to do that. But there was this little thing, and, and I got it. I got his heart. And you know what? And if we never cared about the community and all we cared about was our own little myopic problems, there would be something would be wrong. Something would be wrong. If we're not caring about the big picture of the kingdom of God and you never pray about the big issues, something's, something's off within you. But guess what? God cares about the little stuff. Guess what? If he says the hairs on my head are numbered and he put that in the scriptures, then you know what? He knows details about me I don't even know. Okay? He cares about stuff I don't even care about. I just want there to be hair there. That's all I care about. I don't care how many. I just want there to be some. And so... That's, that's all that matters, and God is involved in a deeper way than I even understand on a regular basis. So we can take the small stuff to Him. We can take the small stuff to Him. We can carry everything that begins to be a source of anxiety for us. We carry to God in prayer. And as we do that, we do it with thanksgiving. Why is thanksgiving important? Why do we need to be laced in there? Because thanksgiving is anticipating a turnaround. It's anticipating some joyous event coming out of this. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to carry this to you in prayer, and then walk away just as in much anxiety because you're not anticipating something turning around. Thanksgiving anticipates a reason to celebrate. The man, I've just given this to God in prayer. Something good's about to go down. Something awesome is about to happen. And so I've talked to God in prayer. And Lord, I'm so thankful that I get to talk to you and that you care about it. And we just turn this and carry it and we put everything to God in prayer. So now that we have recognized there's nothing for us to be anxious about, we can pray about everything. Well, our thoughts are still rolling. We don't just go into flat line, no brain waves here. So we need to think about the right things. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. This is the stuff we need to be actively thinking about. The anxious stuff doesn't fit this criteria. I don't care what it is. It doesn't fit the criteria. So we need to be actively thinking about these things. Fifteen times Jesus refers to people's thinking. And I've given you a list of just a handful of these. But our thinking needs to shift. So quickly we want to see that there's some other things that need to be dealt with. The first one is to be content with my things. 
We need to be content. When we learn to be content, it's not that we never increase. It's not that there's not a promotion or, or other things. It's just that our, we're happy. We're just our source of joy. We're content. It's cool. Life is good, and we need to recognize that. Philippians 4.11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need or I have learned, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he drops the secret on us. Trust God for all things. And then he drops the next verse that you see in every Christian locker room around. And I don't have a problem with this being in Christian locker rooms. I don't have a problem with it being in weight rooms. I don't have a problem on being on tank tops, you know, with the weights. And, and, but you know what? This is not the bench press verse, okay? This is not, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not what this is. Let's look at the context. This is a contentment verse. This is a being able to not be an anxious, an anxiety verse. That is what Philippians 4.13 is. Philippians 4.13 is being free from anxiety. It's being free from worry. Even though things may, I have so much, well now what am I going to do with all of my lot? Well, I don't have any. Well, what am, where am I going to get some more? He, I can be content and I cannot worry about any of it. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Why? Because he continues to write in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The standard for how God meets our needs is how he met them in Christ. I think that pretty much says it all. If he's going to give us heaven's best, then he's, God is going to take care of us. John 14.1 says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And our bottom line today is that no thing can steal your joy. Paul was in prison. His liberty taken from him, his joy wasn't gone. Nothing, no thing. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.